Before we begin, I would like to take a quick break to tell you about a travel website that allows you to search for the cheapest flights, hotel rooms, car rentals, airport parking, and taxis and airport shuttle services. The website is www.experiencethis360.com. It takes over 700 airlines and travel agencies, 240,000 hotels, including booking sites like Expedia and Booking.com, and allows you to compare all at once in one screen, saving you time and money. It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. There are no additional fees and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. This isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy to way to do flight searches, discount hotel rooms, and find the cheapest rental cars. Think of it as cheap flight, best hotel rate search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Now, back to the podcast. Imagine yourself alone in the dark, thick Canadian forest. You are on a hunt looking for deer, caribou, and even rabbit. Suddenly, you see something moving in the shadows. You were warned by your tribe's elders. There is an urge inside you to follow. You cannot make out what exactly it resembles. It looks like a human, but with a deer's head. It is gaunt, yet surprisingly fast. It glides through the trees effortlessly and speaks to you, not with language, but with desire. You feel different. You feel the need to want. To want more than you need. To devour. To take everything. To take the life of your hunting party and devour them, piece by piece. Muscle and tendon. Bone and fat. You have become one with the legend of the Wendigo. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 3, Episode 1, The Wendigo. In Algonquin folklore, the Wendigo, or Windigo, is a mythical cannibal monster or evil spirit native to the northern forests of the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes region of both the United States and Canada. However, the stories of the Wendigo are also associated with the Cree in western Canada and the Innu in Labrador and Newfoundland to Canada's very east. In fact, the legend can be found in most Native American stories. The Wendigo are strongly associated with the winter, the north, and coldness, as well as with famine and starvation. The Wendigo may appear as a monster with some characteristics of a human, or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them become monstrous. It is historically associated with cannibalism, murder, and insatiable greed. Basil Johnston, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, gives his description of a Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. 
its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion of ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets, the Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. Not only do the natives believe that the creature exists in physical form, they also believe that humans can be possessed by the creature and become a Wendigo themselves. In some traditions, humans who became overpowered by greed could turn into Wendigos. The myth thus served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation. Humans could also turn into Wendigos by being in contact with them for too long. In historical accounts of Wendigo psychosis, it has been reported that humans became possessed by the Wendigo spirit after being in a situation of needing food and having no other choice besides cannibalism. In 1661, the Jesuit relations reported, What caused us great concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations of the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming, had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men were seized with an ailment known to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with either lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them ferociously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey and more greedily more than they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. To many of the Algonquin tribe, the Wendigo was very real, and also had a bad habit of possessing unsuspecting people and turning them into cannibals. Unfortunately, during the 1800s, several Algonquin natives actually did feast on their fellow humans, a result of a mental disorder modern-day psychologists call Wendigo psychosis. And perhaps the most infamous victim of this horrifying condition was a Cree by the name of Swift Runner. Born in Alberta as Ka Kisi Kuchin, Swift Runner was a popular man in the Cree community and the father of six children. At over six feet tall, he was a giant of the man at the time and made his living as a trapper and a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. But over time, Swift Runner developed a taste for whiskey and fell into the throes of alcoholism. Making things worse, Swift Runner was an angry drunk, and his drinking habits got him in trouble. First, he was fired by the police force, and then he was kicked out of his tribe thanks to his violent tendencies. Then in the winter of 1878, Swift Runner took his family, his wife, six children, his mother-in-law and brother, out into the forest. 
Several months later, as spring rolled around, swift runners staggered out of the woods and into a nearby Catholic mission. When the priests asked what was wrong, Swift Runner said his entire family was dead. During the winter, he hadn't been able to find any food. Slowly but surely, all his relatives had starved to death. The priests were somewhat suspicious, however. Swift Runner looked pretty healthy. Why hadn't he succumbed to starvation himself? Plus, they knew quite a few other Cree who had a pretty successful winter hunting-wise. The priests were also disturbed by Swift Runner's constant nightmares. The man would wake up in the middle of the night screaming at the top of his lungs. The last straw was when Swift Runner tried to lead a group of children out into the woods. Convinced he'd killed his family, the priests went to the authorities. Inspector Gagnon was given the task of investigating Swift Runner's behavior. He and a small party of policemen accordingly trekked out to the trapper's camp. Swift Runner showed the mounted police a small grave near his camp. He explained that one of his boys had died and was buried there. Gagnon and his detachment opened the grave and found the bones undisturbed. That, however, did not explain the human bones scattered around the encampment. Gagnon produced a skull, which Swift Runner willingly told him was that of his wife. Without much prodding, Swift Runner revealed what had actually happened to the rest of his family. At first, Swift Runner became haunted by dreams. A Wendigo spirit called on him to consume the people around him. The spirit crept through his mind, gradually taking control. Finally, he was a Wendigo, and Swift Runner no longer. Then the Wendigo killed and ate Swift Runner's wife. This accomplished, the Wendigo forced one of Swift Runner's boys to kill and butcher his younger brother. The spirit was then said to hang Swift Runner's infant by the neck from a lodge pole and tugged at the baby's dangling feet. It was later shown that he had also done away with Swift Runner's brother and his mother-in-law, though he acknowledged that she had been a bit tough. The police party hauled Swift Runner and the mutilated evidence back to Fort Saskatchewan. The trial began on August 8, 1879. The judge and jury did not view the Wendigo idea in the same light as the Cree. They saw Swift Runner as a murderer and the trapper made no attempt to hide his guilt. The magistrate, Richardson, quickly sentenced him to hang. Now the sentence presented a problem. The police had never before conducted an execution. Although the Hudson's Bay Company had once hanged an employee for murder, this was, for all intents and purposes, the first formal execution in Western Canada. Staff Sergeant Fred Bagley, a force bugler, was put in charge of the arrangements. A gallows was erected within the fort enclosure at Fort Saskatchewan, and an old army pensioner named Rogers was made hangman. On the appointed morning, a bitterly cold December 20th, Swift Runner was led to the scaffold. Standing over the trap, the cannibal was given the opportunity to address the large crowd that had gathered. He openly acknowledged his guilt and thanked his jailers for their kindness. 
then berated his guard for making him wait in the cold. Nowadays, we view as psychosis what the Cree thought to be a work of the Wendigo spirit. At one time, in the belt of parkland that borders the northern plains, it was far from being a rare phenomenon. Usually, the symptoms were the same as those displayed by Swift Runner, and in one way or another, most of the afflicted Wendigos met similar violent death. Swift Runner's Last Walk Swift Runner had been told to prepare for his death and seemed to have heeded the advice. He walked confidently into the yard, seeming much calmer than many of those who were there to watch him die. Most of the 60 people gathered near the gallows had never seen a hanging, and they were nervous and anxious about what was going to happen. Sheriff Richard had been delayed by the snow and weather and was flustered by his late arrival at the fort. The hangman, too, appeared nervous. The execution had been ordered to take place at 7.30 a.m. on December 20th, 1879. With less than a half an hour left to go, it was discovered that the crowd had taken the trap from the gallows and burned it as kindling, that the hangman had forgotten to bring straps to bind the prisoner's arms. As the sheriff and the hangman rushed to get the scaffold ready again, Swift Runner sat near one of the fires that had been lighted nearby, joking and chatting, snacking on pennikin, the thick noose hanging loosely around his neck. I could kill myself with a tomahawk, he offered, and save this hangman further trouble. Some said Swift Runner had developed a taste for cannibalism years earlier when he was forced to eat the remains of a starved hunting partner to save himself. Others said he was possessed by the Wendigo, the flesh-eating spirit that tormented him and gave him the nightmares. But all Swift Runner could say was, I did it. He ate his entire family. Two hours after Swift Runner was led to the gallows, the execution was finally ready to proceed. He was allowed to eat one final pound of pemmican before he was pinioned tightly with rope and taken to the scaffold, where a thick black hood was placed over his head. Just before the trap fell, Swift Runner said, I am no longer a man. And Swift Runner went down with fearful force. He was dropped five feet. He died without a struggle. The body was cut down in an hour and buried in the snow outside the fort. It was the first legal hanging in Alberta, Canada. Quite a few people came to watch Swift Runner meet his maker, including one spectator who claimed it was the 29th hanging he'd witnessed. And he was thoroughly impressed with the show. As this execution connoisseur later put it, quote, it was the prettiest hanging I ever seen. Have you ever tried to find a cheap hotel room and you open up Expedia, then you open up Travago, then Booking.com, and then Hotels.com, and so on and so on, trying to find the best deal from all the hotel discount and booking sites? What if I told you you could do one search in one window, either online or using your mobile device? What if I told you that you can take all these discount search sites, combine them into one easy-to-use app, saving time and money? It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. 
There are no additional fees, including taxes, and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. Now, this isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy way to do hotel searches. Think of it as a cheap hotel search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Savings are incredible, sometimes up to 70% off. There are even options such as pay now, pay later, free cancellations, no credit cards required. With a database of over 270,000 hotels, 46,000 hostels, 500,000 bed and breakfasts, and 1.3 million apartments, you will be sure to find the best hotel at an incredible price. Now, do you want this app? Find the best hotel room at the best price. Just visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Again, that's www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. Between 1880 and 1920, a Wendigo creature was said to have been seen by over three dozen witnesses near the town of Rosso in Minnesota. Each time the creature was seen, an unexpected death occurred connected to the witness. When the sightings themselves stopped, the unexpected deaths, too, concluded. To be sure the creature was gone, local townsfolk asked a native shaman to cleanse the area of any evil spirits. The shaman indicated he had hunted and chased off the Wendigo. The most famous of these shamans who hunted and killed Wendigo was Jack Fiddler. He was a Cree Indian who claimed at least 14 Wendigos in his lifetime. Jack Fiddler, last murdered resulted in his arrest at the age of 87. Jack admitted that he was guilty of the crime, but to his defense he stated that the woman was cursed by the spirit of the Wendigo and would eventually murder members of his tribe. In October 1907, Jack and his brother were arrested for killing over 14 people who he claimed were Wendigos or about to become them. Jack became a famous shaman for his alleged ability to conjure animals and protect his people from spells. Most importantly, to the people of his region, he could allegedly successfully defeat the Wendigo, the cannibalistic spirit that would possess people during the all-too-frequent bouts of famine and disease. In his life, Jack claimed to have defeated 14 Wendigos. Apparently, some were sent against his people by enemy shamans, and others were members of his own band who were taken with an insatiable, incurable desire to eat human flesh. In the later case, Fiddler was usually asked by family members to kill a very sick loved one before they turned into a Wendigo. In some cases, the Wendigo him or herself would ask to be euthanized according to the necessary rites. Jack's own brother, Peter Flelt, was killed after turning into a Wendigo when the food ran out on a trading expedition. In early 1907, two members of the Northwest Mounted Police visited Island Lake, and they heard of Jack Fiddler's power against the Wendigo from Norman Ray, an in-law of the Fiddler's. Seeking to introduce Canadian law in the north, the Mounties went to the sucker camp at Deer Lake and arrested Jack and Joseph Fiddler for murder. 
Before leaving, they took an eyewitness and declared that each man must give up any extra wives. For most of the sucker people, the Mounties were the first whites they had ever seen. The elderly brothers were charged with murder the year before. They were held at Norway House to await trial. Meanwhile, newspapers across Canada picked up the story and printed sensational headlines of murder and devil worship. Across the country, people demanded convictions while the police conducted the trial, saw an opportunity for fame and advancement. On September 30th, Jack escaped captivity during a walk outside. He hanged himself nearby and was found dead later in the day. Robert Fiddler, son of Jack Fiddler and successor as chief of the Sucker people, Joseph Fiddler still went to trial. However, Angus Ray, the eyewitness, testified that indeed they killed the people, but they only did so because they were Wendigos. Pressed on the Wendigo issue, Ray admitted that it was a belief among his people and that Jack and Joseph were the ones who were usually asked to euthanize the very sick and prevent further Wendigos. Despite some other unreliable testimony from Ray and the pleas of missionaries and the Hudson's Bay Company traders, Joseph was convicted and sentenced to death by Ellsworth Perry, the magistrate. Further appeals secured his release, but the order came three days after his death in 1909. Wendigos are notoriously hard to kill, it is said. One of Jack's last words were, This thing is a good hunter in the day, but an unbelievable hunter at night. The Wendigo have few weaknesses, as far as weapons are concerned. It can only be killed by iron, steel, and silver. The most gruesome method of disposal is by shattering the creature's ice heart with a silver stake, and then chopping the body up with a silver axe. The last official report of the Wendigo is from the 1930s, and sightings of the Wendigo have declined over the years. But as with most evil spirits, it is doubtful that this creature is gone for good. Natives believe the creature is still alive and well within the dark forests, and even though there are less and less physical identifications of the creature, they believe the spirit of the Wendigo is still stalking victims. Native Americans also understand the Wendigo conceptually. As a concept, the Wendigo can apply to any person idea, or movement infected by a corrosive drive towards self-angrandizing greed and excessive consumption, traits that sow disharmony and destruction if left unchecked. Shamans point to the self-destructing forms of alcohol and drug consumption and the greed and destruction of natural habitat to extract wealth such as minerals, natural gas, and oil. Indeed, the Wendigo spirit is very much alive, metaphorically. And next time you are alone in the woods and see something shifting in the shadows, and you feel something deep within your stomach, a hunger, if you will, be aware you could be in the presence of the Wendigo. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. 
If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.